Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Top Stories, I'm producer Chris. There was only one inquiry in town in April 2012, that's right, Leveson. Ring any bells? Mm. Well, let us remind you, it's Bugle issue 192, Uncle Rupert is the real victim. Top Story this week, Leveson inquiry update. And uh, if you don't live in the United Kingdom, and there's that's tragically true of literally thousands of people, <laughs> then you may not be aware of a huge investigation that is taking place called the Leveson Inquiry. If you judge the importance of an inquiry by how many cameras are waiting outside with journalists wildly and breathlessly speculating about what's going on inside, then the Leveson Inquiry is, to put it in legal terms, a f***ing doozy of an inquiry. <laughs> It's been set up to investigate the culture, practice and ethics of the press in the UK and the current state of it resembles something that you would irritatingly try to scrape off the bottom of your shoe. (laughs) It was set up after the phone hacking scandal when the News of the World admitted hacking the phones of celebrities, the family of dead British soldiers and even the phone of a 13-year-old murder victim. Uh, The inquiry has two parts, the first of which is examining relations between the press, politicians and the police 
and the conduct of each. And that relationship is very similar to the relationship between the Secret Service and Colombian prostitutes. Andy, <laughs> there's not supposed to be any relationship whatsoever. But it turns out that there's been a surprising amount of f***ing going on. <laughs> And the second part of the inquiry will look at the extent of unlawful or improper conduct within News International and other media organisations. Lord Justice Leveson is heading up the inquiry and he has had a bucket placed next to his chair for the repeated retching and vomiting that he has suffered from this hearing testimony. Um, hey, I've got a joke for you, John. Oh, that's uh, great. What do you get if you cross an unregulated media, a slowly putrefying democratic system, the innate human lust for power and influence, and a nation belatedly realising that it might be worth giving a bit of a shit about those three things? I don't know, Andy. What do you get if you cross those things? Rupert Murdoch at the Leveson Inquiry. Ha ha ha! Yeah. It's, it's classic. Yeah. I've got another I one for you. I guess that is inevitable. Uh, knock, knock. Who's there? Some chickens. Oh, some chickens. <laughs> Who? Oh, welcome home, chickens. I'll get Marjorie to make sure your roosts are ready. I'll put the kettle on. We can have a bit of a catch up. All right. Tough crowd. Tough crowd. Right. One more. I'll just have one more go. Uh-huh. Uh, a joke, because I'm a comedian. I need to have jokes. Uh-huh. Doctor, doctor. I feel like my democracy is a sham perpetuated by a self-interest <laughs> political class and a media with interests so vested you could wear them under a shirt on a winter's day to keep warm, or pass them off as a waistcoat in North America. Anyway, Doctor, that is how I feel. <laughs> oh, well, f*** off out of my surgery. I deal with medical problems, not a creeping sense that everything Britain stood for is being slowly eroded by an unstoppable, commercially-driven media political monster. Oh, can you not at least check me out with a stethoscope? What part of f*** off out of my surgery do you not understand? <laughs> Please, do you want me to stick this thermometer up you? No, I don't, I'll leave. But this whole issue is affecting your profession too, Doctor. What with the NHS reforms? I know, I just don't want to think about it. I just want to cure people with my magic doctoring powers. Not be a political football. Is that wrong? Well, Doctor, if we all gather together, maybe we can knife that political football and kick it over a fence into a disused quarry so the kids can't play with it anymore. By the way, is this lump on my face normal? Yes, that's your nose. It wasn't there yesterday. <laughs> yes, it was. Fair point. What about this lump in my throat? Well, that's just you welling up with emotion about the slow death of the democratic dream. Can you prescribe anything for it, Doctor? Have you tried two bottles of vodka? No, Doctor, I haven't. Well, give that a go. It'll only alleviate the symptoms, though. OK, Doc, thanks. Have you got a defibrillator? Yep, 20 quid a blast. Extra fiver if you want me to do a ham and cheese toasty with it. Typical NHS. Need I dare you to try that in a club, Andy. Need, need a bit of work, maybe. Was that still the setup, or was that the punchline? Need a bit of work. I don't know. I mean, let's not let's not be let's not be tied down by definitions. I think, okay. I think you might have to excavate the punchline from somewhere <laughs> towards the middle of that sprawling yeah, sentence. That's basically what Lord Leveson is trying to do as well. There's a punchline <laughs> in there somewhere. <laughs> Andy. The point is, is it biologically possible for anyone to listen to what is being said in this inquiry without your ears trying to commit suicide by <laughs> jumping off the side of your head? It's, it is hard to overstate the influence that Murdoch has had over British life over the last three decades. He bought the Times and the Sunday Times in 1981, skirting around monopolies and mergers laws like a figure-skating polar bear. <laughs> I was born in 1977, Andy, so depressing as it is to say, he's actually been one of the most constant influences <laughs> over my entire life, Rupert Burdock. There was just those sweet first four years of my life when his influence didn't seem to hang over Britain like a horrendous stench. <laughs> And, of course, perhaps arguably his most significant contribution to uh, British culture uh, was when the Times started the Bugle. Yes. So, um, 
you know, I mean, he's got a lot to answer for and a number of uh, number of regards. <laughs> probably kept me in a job anyway. But um, uh, for two days this week, uh, Murdoch, the self-styled obfuscating octogenarian, the perfunctory pensioner, the misremembering mogul, has been giving evidence, and um, it has been known, John, for old men sitting alone to be picked mm-hmm. on mercilessly. It's just that usually. Those are confused old codgers who are doing the sitting, not billionaire 80-year-olds who run massive swathes of the global media. And it's usually drunken nudes who are doing the picking on, not Britain's top legal brains. But other than that, the similarities are poignant. The uh, confused old media-owning mumbling billionaire codger with an amazing memory for some things uh, faced two days of grilling. During which, John, you slightly got the impression that he had spent the entire time imagining that he was playing a particularly irascible game of Angry Birds, with the birds replaced by heads of former employees and politicians. (laughs) (laughs) Rupert Murdoch and his son James uh, have been testifying all week, and as you say, some of the more astonishing claims from Rupert Murdoch's wrinkly face (laughs) was that the idea that he exerted any kind of power over politicians was a myth, uh, to which the entire population of the UK said... Wait, what, mate? What the f*** did you just say? Wow, it takes balls to say something like that. Big kangaroo balls that you can retract into your stomach at will. (laughs) Rupert Murdoch has desperately tried to appear sorry for the thing that everyone wants him to be sorry about, for which, but which he is demonstrably not sorry for. <laughs> he He's also tried to appear like a forgetful old man rather than the terrifying media tycoon that everyone assumes he is. He's like the old man at the end of The Wizard of Oz, pulling the levers behind the curtain, if that old man at the end of The Wizard of Oz was actually still a terrifying arsehole. <laughs> Uh, Rupert Murdoch denied that his personal friendship with Tony Blair had led to any favours, thumping the table at one point during the testimony to punctuate his sentence, saying, I never asked Mr (laughs) Blair for anything. Going on to say, I didn't need to because he just gave everything to me anyway. (laughs) Then I would pat him on the head and say, good Tony. (laughs) Yeah, given what Prime Ministers have given him and tried to give him over the years, if he didn't ask them for anything, he must have not asked for that nothing he wasn't asking for in an extremely asky kind of way. (laughs) One of the uh, one of the lawyers actually quoted a reported remark uh, from Murdoch uh, when he supposedly said of uh, Tony Blair, "If our flirtation is ever consummated, Tony, then I suspect we will end up making love like porcupines, very carefully." Before presumably going on to say, "Because we are both total pricks." But <laughs> on a separate note, and also surrounded by more total pricks. <laughs> on a, yes, on a separate note, and yet. Slightly connected. I do think there are a great many people around the world uh, that would that would really like to see an actual porcupine have sex with Rupert Murdoch, <laughs> and not particularly carefully either. <laughs> well, um, there are websites. Um, Murdoch admitted that the phone hacking had left a, a serious blot on his reputation, um, and I guess it has very much in the same way that. A giant pigeon has left a serious blot on his car windscreen. (laughs) And it seems that as a newspaper boss, and he admitted that he'd not so much taken his eye off the ball as taken his eyes out of their sockets and put balls there instead before saying, (laughs) I can't see any balls. And then wandering around saying, do I look scary? Do I look scary? (laughs) Oh, you're sacked. Ah! 
He stopped uh, what, just what? short of saying, I have cast iron proof that from 2003 to 2008, I was on the John doing an unusually tricky Times crossword. That, is ba- that was basically his defence. He just didn't know anything about it. Murdoch even claimed that he'd actually been a victim of the phone hacking scandal himself, saying the senior executives were misinformed and shielded from anything that was going on. Maybe even the editor, but certainly below that, someone took charge of a cover-up which we were victim to. Oh, that's right, Rupert. You are the big victim here. I can't believe the staggering lack of sympathy being sent your way. Andy, you know what? Shame on us. Shame on all of us. He took the victim card even further uh, when he claimed that he'd been under duress after being harassed by a horde of photographers and journalists, saying, I had another 20 or so outside my apartment this morning. At which point, presumably, the entire room went quiet and just waited for him to realise what he'd just said. And I'm hoping that he immediately replied, Oh, I'm sorry, I've just realised the inherent irony in me complaining about aggressive treatment from the press. (laughs) Scratch that last comment from the records, please. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We're recording the Bugle Vinyl Show early in December, so sign up to become a super bugler right now. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you 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 must be so excited. Listen now. <laughs>